We acknowledge and respect the first humans of the unceded land we call San Francisco, the Ramaytoshaloni. We condemn the genocide of these and other tribes across the Western Hemisphere. We honor their legacy and history, and we support rematriation and sovereignty efforts. My heart breaks for for whole prison, <laughs> you know, pipeline system, sure. right? And want to see that broken entirely. But there's something about so I worked with 18 and under, right? Of seeing 14 and 15 year olds that um, were not dreaming about prom or sports or college or you know any of the things that as kids you should be like have a different light-hearted hope and excitement for your future. That was Teresa Goins, founder and president of Old School Cafe in the Bayview. I'm Jeff Hunt, and this is Storied San Francisco, a podcast celebrating the people and places that make this city so special. Welcome to season six of the show. Today also happens to mark our sixth anniversary of putting out podcasts. And we're so, so excited to kick things off this time around at Old School. Over the summer, I was lucky enough to be invited to a private dinner there. And I was nothing short of blown the fuck away. Every single aspect of the evening, the beauty and mystique of the place itself, the drinks, the food, the service, the music, felt transformative. Then I started to learn what it is they do at Old School. To start sharing this vision with you, we'll first hear from Teresa. That voice you'll hear pop up a little in the beginning is Chef Eddie Blyden, who we'll hear more from in part two. Here's Teresa Goins. So originally from Tucson, Arizona, um, and I grew up out in the country. So we had chickens and pigs and very more kind of rural. And the country <laughs> that is desert, yes, right? Yes, desert yeah, country, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So out in the desert. But, With um, the saguaros? Yes. Or, yeah. Yes, exactly. Oh, she's a First girl. time I saw those in my life, I, I laughed because I was like, I've only seen these in cartoons. <laughs> You're like, they're in like real. the Roadrunner. Right. They're totally they're real. real. Of course, they're beautiful, but I was like, that's hilarious. I couldn't right. Stop I yeah, she used to lasso cattle. <laughs> yeah. I, I've seen it. I've seen the evidence. She used to lasso. She wrote, you know, the thing. The, Did you do? You know, with the rope and the rodeo. tying of the. Yeah. It's not Remember, rodeo. I'm from Fort Worth, so I know oh, rodeo. That's right. Yeah. I just, I just helped not my friend rodeo, in Roundup. You, just in a, in a Roundup. Round, Roundup. Is that the term? Yes. Okay. So you're, you, were born and raised in Tucson? Yes, correct. And then I went to school in California, Santa Barbara, and um, then went into probation work right after I got my degree in psychology okay. and um, ended up working with the probation de department um, as a juvenile institutions correction officer type role. Yeah. Is that for the state or were you in a specific? County. Okay. County. So Down yeah. in Santa Barbara. Yeah. So we had, okay. we had youth from Lompoc um, up to about Thousand Oaks near L.A. Okay. And so, yes, worked in a juvenile hall, and we had two um, camps that are a little bit kind of like the scared straight boot camps back in the day mm, a little bit. So we had a yeah. hundred, hundred young men, male inmates mm -hmm. um, that would do their, they could do their confinement time there that would go faster because um, mm. it was like work crews and military style, mm, that kind of thing. Yeah. A little different than what you're doing now. Yes, so well, that's what <laughs> inspired. Yes, different. that's what inspired me to start this. Actually, did you know 
coming out of, I guess, college that you wanted to work with youth? No, um, I was going to, I, my degrees in psychology and I was going to go on to get my um, PhD and become a therapist is what I thought I would do. Psychologist. So I knew. And then life happened. Well, you know, I I knew, you know, I grew up with a, my father was severely disabled Mm -hmm. and in a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I always kind of had a little bit of a caretaker's heart and wanted um, whether it was emotional pain or physical pain, because he also had a lot of emotional pain. And so mm. I think there was always something in me that wanted to be able to help people alleviate suffering. Whether Caretake. It was... Yeah. Caretake, yeah. right? Or... Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I was drawn to the field of psychology mm. um, because I wanted to see people free mm-hmm. from emotional pain. And, and so that was sort of, I think, what, yeah the the direction I was going um but I was also interested in law enforcement and I thought maybe I would um maybe go along with um law enforcement when there was you know a shooting or something and be sort of a liaison with the community and or a psychologist also for law enforcement that experienced a lot of trauma Mm -hmm. and then that affects right um that type of thing and so those are kind of things and then I probably watched too many cop shows so I think I was also maybe interested in FBI and you know (laughs) I'm I'm young right so it's like oh you watch the (laughs) (laughs) X-Files so funny so I just I had done all the regular psych um internships um Mm -hmm. And uh, suicide lines and um, a a boy's mental health ward um, and really great experience and really intense. And I think I just wanted to try something in law enforcement. So there was an officer that took me for an internship with the probation department. Mm -hmm. Wasn't with youth. It was actually with the heaviest adult offender unit. Um, but it was, I really liked who I worked with. It was so interesting. I was learning a lot. So they offered me a position right after I graduated. And I thought, well, maybe I'll do this for a couple of years, get some good, you know, in, in, uh, continue my kind of practical experience. And then I'll go on to get my, um, master's and PhD in psychology. That was the plan. And then they put me in the juvenile division, which I had not had experience with before, mm-hmm. And that's what changed my life. Okay. Do you want to talk about what it is that yeah. changed? Changed, yes. You know, how were your eyes opened and, yeah. and in what ways? And So I think the difference of working with young people versus adults, I mean, it's all, you know, my heart breaks for, for our whole prison, <laughs> you know, pipeline Population. system, sure. right? And want to see that broken entirely. Mm-hmm. But there's something about, so I worked with 18 and under, right, of seeing... 14 and 15 year olds that um, were not dreaming about prom or Mm. sports or college or, you know, any of the things Mm -hmm. that as kids you should be like have a different lighthearted hope and excitement for your future. Right. And when I'm seeing them literally thinking of survival, like they're in a, in a mindset of literally survival, physically surviving many didn't expect to even see their 18th birthday yeah and then for those that did they were like oh i want to go to county because i can have more freedom and like as an adult Mm -hmm. in county jail and i'm like uh (laughs) you know it's so the and then the hopelessness the um feeling of how many young people never got visits 
you know, that I, some of them were incarcerated for a year or two years, holidays and watching them hope, like as I'm calling the names for who's there and watching their face look every time and drop when their name's not called because they have no visitors, Mm. watching their faces when I'm calling for mail each night, Mm -hmm. who's, who's written them Mm -hmm. and watching young people, kids really Mm -hmm. that feel completely thrown away Mm -hmm. and forgotten about who feel like their life is has no value it's like society and whoever they had in their life their family their friends everyone just gave up on these people yeah yeah and so you saw a need yeah i think it just seen uh you know young people that were also really hungry for love really Mm -hmm. hungry for as an opportunity and um, many of them would finish their confinement time and and they let me start a lot of the programs that I do here at old school I started actually as a young officer I was 22 oh Oh, okay so they let me do a career exploration program there because I was doing it all on my own time so they're like sure if you want to come in on your days off and you know knock yourself out it's also kind of how you roll if I may (laughs) What I've, little very, I've learned about you. It's pretty passionate about it, yeah. yeah so they would let me bring in, um, we would like take over the, the gym and we'd bring in firefighters and computer people and mm. we'd set up booths so they could go around and have like a career exploration day. Mm-hmm. And they let me take them down to the city college to explore what it would take, what's like going to college and what kind of classes. And, you know, so I think I just, I would see them start to like hope as they're getting exposed and, and those conversations of like, you are amazing. Like you're brilliant. And, and biz, I mean, entrepreneurs, many of them, right. Just not being given the, the healthy pathway to use those skills Mm -hmm. and that, that, um, you know, those brains. Um, and so, um, you know, then several, several of them would get out and then, they go, we put them right back in the same environment, right? Mm. So you've served your confinement time, but you're going back to the same situation where often a lot of their friends and family members are in that street economy and mm-hmm. system. And then you're kind of, we're basically setting them up to fail. So they would yeah. often call the jail and say, or the boot camp and say, I want to come back. Like they felt safer. They felt more love. They felt like... You know, and they're like, I'm not going to make it out here. I want to use like things are bad. Mm-hmm. Dad's in prison. Like, you know, there were just so many hard things. That, but my hands were tied to help them. Right. And so then here this they is when would, you're still down south. Yes, exactly. Okay. And so then then they would end up coming back. Now you've got another offense on top of. Right. So this is when oh, you've also got the three strikes. Right. Yeah, right. And so looking at 15 year olds that had two strikes, one more strike, they're going away for life. Mm-hmm. And they're 15. That's unreal. So I just remember going, and, and the kids were saying, please help. Like, I want something different. I just don't know how. And I'm like, we're adults. We're the adults in the society. These are children that are saying, please help. And we're not doing we're anything. Failing we're them. failing them. And it's yeah. like, oh, well, the, our hands are tied from the system. I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is, not un, this is not unsolvable. Yeah, so that's right. where I just really started praying, crying, many nights driving home going, there's got to be, God, give me an answer. There's got to be a solution. Um, and that was where the, the ideas of, okay, something that's going to provide economic support you know that's Mm going to hire young people that have felonies that have a record Mm -hmm. um that's going to see the gold in them and not be afraid of them or just see their past and be like oh you know 
it's going to see them as our children. And break the cycle. And break the cycle. Yeah. Right? Because if I had messed up, I mean, how many of us as teenagers did stupid stuff? Right. All of us. Uh-huh. Right? And I would not want somebody to see my a mistake I made as who I was. As defining. Right. Yeah. Right. I would want them to see my heart. They would want them to see the whole of me mm-hmm. and believe in the best in me and give me that chance versus being afraid of me and saying, oh, that's who you are. Right. right? And from then on, yeah, you're defined that and way. And so yeah. that was part of also why the restaurant is I want it. How do we bring society and groups of people together that normally don't intersect mm-hmm. in a way that humanizes each other because mm-hmm. I was like people aren't going to come to the jail and do tours <laughs> even if they did right, right? it's right. a whole right so I'm because I was like how do I get people to have the experience I'm having where I'm I'm getting to know these amazing young people and they're becoming like you know my kids you they're, know I felt they're growing yes you're seeing it yeah, right yeah. and I was like and their stories and who they are and I wanted society to see them as I just talked about how I would want to be seen right um, and how we want all of our children to be seen and valued and, and given opportunities right so I'm thinking but this is how is this going to work right because the whole jail prison system and the rest of society Right, we just see it in the movies. Mm-hmm. There's not really, and so I. That's where I kept thinking: How do we bring worlds together to connect on a human level? That we break down all these stereotypes. We break down this other um, fear, and and because when when you're not affected or you don't know somebody that's been through it, it's easy to pass laws. It's easy mm-hmm. to build prisons for for these people over here of which I have no relationship others Others. right Mm -hmm. but now if your son or daughter Mm -hmm. is is incarcerated all of a sudden you have a very different perspective on the system 100% so it's like how do I get our society as a whole to see these young people as their sons and daughters as Mm -hmm. their children so that they do care about how we're treating them so Yes, it was a much bigger vision of breaking this cycle. Play awesome jazz and serve you delicious food, <laughs> and be such good ser- service people. Um, that's one way. Breaking bread together, breaking the, bread together, food around 100%. the dinner table in the kitchen, right? Like the basic human needs and pieces that make us all human in that space right. together. Very, 100%. yeah, equal. Food, food and music, food and music. Teresa, how did you get to the Bay? Take us through that. Yeah, journey. so I had a roommate from college that was from San Francisco, and I was living in Mexico for a year and a half to learn Spanish and the culture. Where about? In Guadalajara. Oh. That was a special, special part of my journey. Um, and then came back, had a, um, a job offer in New York City. Um, and you came, then, when you say came back, you went to Santa Barbara or? I'm um, oh, sorry, I came back from Guadalajara to New York City. Oh, you went straight to New back York City? To, yeah, back to, back to the U.S. Yes, back to the U.S. Got it. Um, and that fell through, that job fell through. The organization was going through some kind of inner turmoil. So they hired mm. me from afar. I like gave up my apartment, everything, moved for the oh. job. And then they were kind of like, oh, just kidding. sorry, just kidding oh. after I got there. Yeah. So that was a little, little special what um, growing. Year, what year was that? So it was the year. My start date was September 10th, the year of September 11th. No, it was not. Yes. not that crazy? Did you even go? Yes. So I was there um, for several weeks because I was actually Stuck. in the Twin Towers looking for apartments. 
and doing the whole apartment hunt and then um, didn't sign the day the day I decided, let me look, because I was really having a hard time with how small the places were and how much they sure. cost. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so I was like, still let, a problem. I was like, yes. So I was like, let me just look for one more day. Surely there's something a little better. Mm-hmm. So I didn't sign the lease. I was going to give it one more day, and that was the day they sent me an email saying, "We're so sorry that mm-hmm. we have to go back on our word and um, bringing you." Mm-hmm. up here changing country moving countries um the and- universe i think was telling you <laughs> not new york agreed right absolutely I'm, and yes. it sounds like you heeded that call right i mean yeah, everything happens for a reason right yeah. yeah and it was a good growing learning experience for yeah. me for sure so but you were there that day so no so oh. then i um so I had gotten there early to get everything in my apartment, get everything set up, and then I left like a week and a half before I finally decided a friend from San Francisco is like, we have youth that, that need support here. Come to San Francisco. Um, and so I thought, well, I don't really like the weather or the traffic because I'm a warm weather mm-hmm, gal. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I'll, I'll come and you know hang out with my college friends and maybe explore for a year. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly not staying. Oh, no, never, never. Not with all that rain and traffic. Um, And then, you know, 21, 22, 22 years later. Yeah. um, Yeah, so that's how I got here. Living in the sunniest part of the city. It's true, the Bay View. Okay, I guess let's dig in. Yeah. Because you did mention something about New York, or what I think what you said was that your old roommate who was living here told you, we have youth here. Yes. So that must have already been on your mind when New York was a plan. Yes, I was specifically going to New York because they had a. It was a. It was a organization that had. I had seen them on 2020, and they had a really good um, um, program for reducing the recidivism. Like they had a really good success rate of keeping youth out of jail once they got in the program. So okay. I wanted to go and learn from them. I was like, you know, I'd love to go and volunteer for a, a summer just to see what you guys are doing, learn from. Because I knew, right? I went to Mexico. This whole journey was. I want to create something or be a part of something that's going to break this cycle. I just didn't know quite what it was yet. What it was, yeah. So, you know, one piece was Mexico learning the culture in Spanish. Then it was like, okay, this organization seems to be doing some things right. Let me learn from them. Um, and then when they, they asked for my, you know, resume and letter of reference and stuff, and then they asked if I would consider, because I was not ready to move yet. I was still very much in love with Mexico <laughs> and considering maybe doing it there, you okay, know, right. um, and staying there permanently. And, um, they asked, would I consider a two year position with them? Um, and I was like, well, I hadn't really thought about moving to New York, but let me think about it. And through lots of conversation, I decided, okay. So if my math is right, it was about a year and a half or two moving here and then starting, I don't want to jump ahead to the, your house part of this, yes. but what was happening in that year and a half or two? Yeah, let's see. So I moved here like around, um, I think it was like New Year's Eve-ish of 2001, I think. It was Going into two. Right, 2011. Uh, was uh, 2001. Okay, yes. So, mm-hmm. yes. So going into, yes, 2002. Um, and then... Then I did a gang prevention program for a year, and then the funding got cut, and I got laid off. Then I did Head Start, 
Oh. For a year or two. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, and then started doing Head Start Wall. Um, I was starting old the vision of old school, started writing down my vision, talking, started meeting with people, um, the name, like, you know, starting to do all those pieces in 2004. Okay. And then quit my job to do it full time the end of 2005. And this is what I mean about what I'm getting from your story is like, you, I'm sure you ask yourself questions and you go, th- it's not snap decisions, but like you also just do things. You, you ma- make them happen. So let's hear them. <laughs> I don't know that everyone relates to that. <laughs> That's funny. I think it's beautiful, but I don't think it's necessarily common. It's so, really interesting. I mean, is it just the only way you know how to do things in the world? Yeah, I mean, I think that it probably drives me crazy um, to see something that's not right mm. or to see something, whether it's injustice or, you know, somebody hurting and just be like, oh, well. <laughs> like, I think that, that my brain can't, like, it wants to, like, okay, well, what's the, like... Are you hyper empathic? Mm-hmm. Yes. I learned that term last night. Oh. Watching Killing Eve, and I was like, I, I don't know if I am. I'm definitely empathic, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's something that I'm picking up. Oh, that's a really good question. Yeah, yeah I, I never. It's funny because you only know yourself. Right. So I think I just like when I was an officer, I remember. I was like, like my future plans like had just completely shifted because I was like, I cannot walk away and now and not do something about what I, my eyes and heart have been open to. Right. You know, I, I just didn't understand. I hadn't experienced to that level. And when you see that many young people that are saying, I mean, I remember some of the young ladies at the juvenile hall saying, can I please can I please come live with you? Mm. You know, wow. and so when you have kids that are basically just saying, I just want somebody to love me. Right. I want a safe home. I right. want to belong. Like, do you see me? Do I matter? Mm-hmm. And to like, obviously I was a 22 year old, um, you know, think feeling very, uh, what's the word inept of like, what can I possibly do? This, right. this feels so massive as I started, it kind of unfolded how many young people are incarcerated in this country, how many young people are caught up it, that are trapped in, in cycles of trauma. And, and I'm like, who am I to do anything about this? Right. But I felt like I could not try to mm-hmm. figure out whatever my part could be mm-hmm. it's like if you saw you know I, I kind of I'm in imagery I think about if you saw a baby that was you know in the middle of the street <laughs> like, like <laughs> I don't care it'd be, el- it'd be elbows right like, like you go yeah. and you like it's our like it's our responsibility right. whether we are related to that baby or not there is right. a baby there's a child that is a need that is hurting and we have to respond, mm-hmm. right? And so it's almost that strong of a maternal, like, you know, when children are saying, please help me, mm-hmm. I'm not okay. Like them. we have to do something. I don't know what the answer is, but we have to do something. Well, speaking of the answer, how did you come by? And and, and was it originally food 
and sort of the music and yeah. ambiance thing or like like because it yeah. could have been any number of things right right and it I could have been sports it could have yes, been whatever you know. yes and there's so many great programs that i love that um creativity of people in different ways um a lot of it came from uh, the youth, right? So really was listening to them saying, you know, that they asking them, what do you feel like you, you need to break out of this cycle and break out of the gangs and these, these situations? And they said jobs. Um, I heard that the gangs provided a sense of, like, protection, community, support, mm-hmm. family, brotherhood. Um, and so that I was like, okay. And then the third was a sense of purpose because you know, they were somebody when they belonged to this game. They had a role. Yeah, they had a role. They mattered. And so I thought you can't ask young people to leave drug dealing and some of the, the you know ways of making money illegally. You can't ask them to leave their only sense of brotherhood, community, friend, support, basically family, and a sense of belonging and, and purpose. Mm-hmm. And if you're not going to be competitive with you if you're not going to offer something better in those three areas you who are we to say leave that for nothing (laughs) right 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 like yeah just you know do good and um instead of don't do drugs yeah what do you exactly yeah you're you're doing for example you're doing drugs to to numb some pain right so what what is an alternative to deal with that pain Mm -hmm. versus just do nothing and feel the pain right Mm -hmm. so now i'm in san francisco right um still pursuing this what is how do we address these three things how do we help youth break the cycle of going back to jail and in san francisco i was new here but what i definitely saw was was a foodie city Mm -hmm. that where people spend money Mm -hmm. is going out to eat (laughs) yeah right and the city loves entertainment loves music Mm -hmm. and so and i was like oh it's like hotels it's very touristy and so all of a sudden I started and remember you know in my prayers I'm going God you like very funny I'm the least likely person so you got to give me the answer so I'm just (laughs) constantly like trying to listen and think and I'm like all these jobs in hospitality so if but it's hard to get a job right so if you if you you go to a restaurant and you have no restaurant experience right Um, but if you do Every city in the world has restaurants, mm-hmm, cafes, mm-hmm. hotels. Um, and so I was like, wow, that's one of the most transferable jobs that every place has. So, and you, if you, if we could give them experience in that area, then wherever, because often they're transitory, right? It's often right. like lots of un, uh, unstable situations if they're in foster care, whatever. So I, I was like, how can we provide something that no matter where they move, they could walk into a restaurant and say, mm-hmm. hey, I have experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing was, at that time, I was I was talking to people that were servers, and they were making good money with tips, right? So I, I was thinking, wow, so how do we break the, the minimum wage ceiling, the poverty ceiling? And I talked to some managers who, well, the, the servers were making more than the managers. Because of tips. Because of tips. Yeah. So I was like, oh, and also being competitive with the streets. In the streets, you're dealing in cash. Right. As a server, you're getting cash, yep. Yep. right? So just some of these things that are going to quickly, right, translate. So those were and provided a viable alternative. Yeah, that is like really yeah healthy. And then yeah. so many of the young people I worked with were incredibly like gregarious and funny and outgoing. Mm-hmm. I thought, what a great like 
you charm your tables, <laughs> right? Like you Here's get a chance tip. to, yeah, really connect and and use your gifts uh, and with people yeah. in a way. Then you have some other young people that that um, were not, you know, that were more introverted and they loved the back of the house because the they could just focus and the creativity of being able to create something and focus, you know, with their hands and then to see somebody love it, mm-hmm. right? That immediate mm-hmm. satisfaction. So I started going, oh my gosh, in the restaurant, there's like all these different, there's, you know, from hosting to serving, busing, <laughs> dishwashing, cooking, um, there's the management, there's marketing, um, and then the entertainment. I always saw that because we used to do these um, talent shows at the boot camp. No way. And I was Fun. like, we have so many talented young people. And a yeah. lot of them missed high school, right? Because mm-hmm. they were locked up. And so I'm like, where did they ever get to show their talents? From comedians, for sure, to, <laughs> <laughs> to singers and poets and dancers. Yes. And so it started it. with this, like, having a, a venue where they get paid mm-hmm. for, and also, like, recognition for their talent. Maybe let's jump ahead to this space. Absolutely. And um, I guess, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm having totally, like, where do you even begin? <laughs> I've seen the before pictures. Yeah. I've heard a little bit, but like, I guess, can you walk listeners through first getting the space, transforming it, yeah. eventually owning? Yep. I? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. Let, let's hear about all that. Yeah. So I know I'll try to, to break it down quickly because there is so much to this story I know. Um, so we got the space. Um, uh, I was talking with... so. People would often ask, you know, kind of what's your biggest need? And I'd say, a building, because I'm still doing this out of my house, you know, eight years later. Um, And so there were some pastors that said, had invited me to share what I was doing with several other groups in the city, ministry leaders, pastors. And um, they said, you know, a lot of the churches need to get behind you, what you're doing. I'm like, yes, Mm -hmm. I agree. (laughs) And so I was thrilled to be invited to share. And so they broke us up into groups of the city, the area. And so there was a couple pastors um, that were in our group and they said, again, what's your biggest need? I said a building. And they said, we actually have this extra building. Um, do you want to come take a look? And they had, they had um, done different things here, um, you know, for youth and things in the community, but it wasn't really being fully utilized. Um, and it wasn't know, a restaurant. It was not a restaurant. They, yeah. And there was still some um, church meetings in here and things like that. And so um, I came in and I said, um, you know, can I can I gut it and <laughs> turn it into a restaurant? And so they um, they negotiated a really low salary for me that I because I couldn't afford anywhere else in the city. Right. It was just crazy. And again, I didn't really have money. So. Um, so, yeah, we um, we negotiated a really um, low salary. And then fast forward a few years later, they had a balloon payment coming up. And they said, you know, we're going to have to sell the building. And, um, you know, if we'd love for you to buy it, but I needed to come up with 600000 which I was still learning how to fundraise. I had mm-hmm. not come up with 600000 in my entire time of <laughs> doing this. I can't imagine. Yeah. Certainly not in a month. Um, yeah. And so just, you know, with so many, so many miracles and, um, uh, you know, one donor in particular that um, privately and humbly just believed in our mission and 
um, gave us half. Wow. Which allowed us to get a loan for the other half. Wow. And then just the community and That's donors great. and people came together um, to help us purchase it so that we, because we, it would have ended, right? I couldn't, right. I would either be going back to my house at that point after we had, you know, renovated it we'd been for open years, right yeah. um and i couldn't afford rent anywhere else in the city um and so yeah it was just a beautiful story and then we were able to um so we bought it um and then we were able to fully pay off our loan at the end of 2019 right before we went into the pandemic so a Which, lot of miracles <laughs> yeah the timing wow and i'm sure it was harrowing leading up to that but for me at least in hindsight it makes total sense yeah. that all these things happened. Uh, be, because for me, it all goes back to what this place stands for. Yeah. yeah. Which, thank you for talking at length about that. Um, obviously, I believe in it. Uh, and I think it's so, so important. And I'm like, also, what an amazing way to achieve that vision. Mm. At, you know, on, on my side, it's like, coming and having a really wonderful dinner usually with friends and loved ones and then being treated to like world-class service a beautiful bar with delicious drinks the food coming out of the kitchen is top-notch and there's a jazz band i'm like what could <laughs> that's be, also you what more could there be so i guess mm. as you approach your 20th total yeah. year um i guess you know speak to where old school is and where you'd like it to go next yeah and we'll, we'll wrap with that okay i mean it's exciting we our team is growing which i'm so grateful for nice. which um we're just in a place that uh, means okay like the vision has always been how can we have this type of model you know across the nation mm. for young people because mm -hmm. they all deserve to have this opportunity right to instead of building more prisons you know building places of opportunity that invest in them so um yeah we just brought on a interim executive director okay. um a few months ago and you know as our team is growing we're um, excited to look at what does that um expansion look like and um, how can we a lot of cities have called us for years saying hey we love an old school in our city so we're excited to start to explore what what, what does means. growth look like now that we have a rock star team here um, and we're ready to start um, expanding. I I think I want to end with um, the fact that, because we're called Storied San Francisco, but the fact that it is here and the fact that if you grow in that way, and I yeah. fully expect and want you to, but what does it mean to you for it to be rooted? Yeah, yeah. So rooted here. This is, and especially in our community, um, mm -hmm. really fought to keep it here, you know, because we don't have the same foot traffic as other places, but, um, you know, it's really a special place for me. So I just think this will always be um, the mothership, <laughs> a place like that, that um, is kind of that first root um, and seed um, that I, I envision a place that people could come and visit and see kind of, okay, and then um, kind of grow out from here um, but this is yeah this is this is a special place and we hope that we'll always have our roots here that was old school cafe founder and president teresa Gorn. 
In part two, we'll meet Chef Eddie Blyden and hear more from Teresa about what it's like to run old school day to day. Look for that episode next Tuesday, wherever you get podcasts. Music for Storied San Francisco was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Michelle Kilfeather does original photography for us. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. And the show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our sixth season, we have more than 200 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're able to, please rate and review the show and drop us a line at storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Keep rejecting those silly doom loop narratives about our city. Stay wacky, weird, healthy, and creative. And we'll see you next time on Storied San Francisco.